welcome to the Movie Journey Podcast, where we break down every film from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm Dean Jeffrey, and I'm yeah. thoroughly avoiding opening up with a terrible Minnesota yeah. accent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and today we're breaking down the Coen Brothers Fargo. Dean, how are you, buddy? Good, mate. How are you? I'm good. I've just started my four week off work. Really? Yeah. Why are you having four weeks off? It's that time of the year. Is that like a that time of the month sort of deal for you? <laughs> Except you just yeah, get it my, in what, once my... a year, <laughs> and it's huge. Uh, no, the, the school holidays will be happening in a couple of weeks, so I usually take the time off then. But I've taken some extra time off because I've just got it all there, just waiting to be taken. So why not? Fair enough. Uh, do you have any big plans for the holidays, Hendo? Not much I can do at the moment, is there? Hence why I'm surprised you're taking all this time off. I need to take time off. That's what I, it, the, the situation around me hasn't, isn't going to change and I need to be taking some time off. So it, it's happening. Fair enough. What are we doing today, Hendo? Well, after our breakdown of Fargo, we're going to take a look at some reviews you listeners have given to us. We'll take a look at our question of the week, which is, what is your favourite film set in the snow? Which is our top five as usual. We'll see who's won our competition there. We're going to take a look at the round three results of our tournament of champions and see who's leading the charge there in our tipping competition between us and our Facebook listener community and our awesome patrons. And then after all that, it is time to find out what film we're going to be doing next time, which is a patron-requested breakdown coming from our awesome patron, Chris Beardsall. Can't wait to see what he's got for us, hey, Dean? Yeah, I wonder what kind of dark horse he's got lined up for us. <laughs> yeah, I think the differences will be night and day compared to Fargo. Why don't you just tell them, Hendo? Why don't you just tell them? <laughs> but before all that... Give me the update. All right, Hendo, it's been a fortnight now. What's going on on the IMDb Top 250 list? Parasite has dropped down to 28 now, bringing Spirited Away back up an extra spot. American History X has dropped down two more spots to number 38, bringing up Back to the Future and Terminator 2. What the hell? What? What's going on with American History X? What's the problem? Why is it dropping? Because T2 and Back to the Future are better. Should be rising. We were on Anand Watch last time. It's actually gone down 13 more spots to number Anand 95. Said. Yeah, so so it's dropping out, is it? Not out. It's it's going steadily down. I think, uh, what was it, a month and a half ago, I think it was at like a 50. Now it's down to nearly 100. Do you really think we're going to do all these Indian films? Yeah. No one's going to pick them. Like, they will literally be the last... 20 episodes of the the main show podcast. Yep, I look forward to them. What a way to finally wrap up. <laughs> Mate, we'll never wrap up. We've got heaps of different things we can be doing. This is the finale you have been waiting for. It is We're finally here, Dean. It is Adnan. <laughs> Don't be stupid. It's going to be Lagan once upon a time in India. Ah, of course. Gangs of Wasapa will be our, our huge Wait. four... Our four-episode breakdown of Gangs of Wasipa. If we get down to all these Indian films, I'm choosing Gangs of Wasipa first, because that, that is actually a good film. Hmm. But we have a new entry into the list. It is Charlie Chaplin's The Circus. Haven't even heard of it. Is this oh. just come out? <laughs> yeah, new release, 2020. New release. Times are tough in 2020. <laughs> Uh, no, I actually watched this uh, uh, for the movie watching challenge year, a year and a half ago now. 
just hit the 25,000 vote criteria and it is now in the list of number 232. And that'll be your update for this fortnight. Very good. All right, before we get into our breakdown of Fargo, just a quick heads up, we will be spoiling the film from the jump. So if you haven't had a chance to watch it, you've been warned. And with that being said, let's get into Fargo. I'm uh, Jerry Lundegaard. You got the car? You bet. Brand new burnt umbers here. You want your own wife kidnapped. Her dad, he's real well off. So why don't you just ask him for the money? Ah! See, these are personal matters. Personal matters? Wait, it's Jerry. I don't know what to do. It's my wife. We gotta talk. It's something hard, geez. It's terrible. So Fargo is a 1996 black comedy crime film written, produced, and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Frances McDormand stars as Marge Gunderson, a pregnant Minnesota police chief investigating roadside homicides that ensue after a desperate car salesman played by William H. Macy hires two criminals played by Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare to kidnap his wife in, ex- in order to extort a hefty ransom from his wealthy father-in-law played by Harvey Presnell. Ah yes, well-known actor Harvey Presnell. Starred in Saving Private Ryan, I see. I think he was on a 20-year hiatus before he came back and did this film. Hadn't acted in 20 years. Probably still living on his royalties from little-known movies in Minnesota. Yeah. Oh, so now you can do the accent. Well, all I said is I wasn't going to open up with it. Sure. Because it was too obvious. And I I love that you actually just opened up with it. Like, not even stringing together a sentence, just a whole bunch of yars. Yeah, of course. That's that's the most memorable thing that I I pulled out of this film is the yah. Oh, yah, yah. Oh, yah. Really? That's the most memorable thing for you from Fargo? They say yah 181 times in this film. How could I not have it in in my brain? Just, I I didn't even notice it. Sure you did. Music by Carter Burwell. I don't think we've mentioned Carter Burwell before. Is that a female? No. He's got two Academy Award nominations for his original score for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri and Carol. And he has done many, many other Cohen films, including our other one we did a breakdown on, No Country for Old Men. So we would have mentioned him before. No, no, because we weren't doing this sort of shit back then. What were we doing back then, Hendo? Who knows? It was so long ago now. Did we do an Oscars draft in the Three Billboards year? I'll rephrase that. Did we record our Oscars draft or was it just a private thing? No, I think we did uh, maybe 20, yeah, one of, one of, would have been one of our really early episodes. Fair enough. Cinematography by Mr. Roger Deakins. We've mentioned his name several times. Yes, we have. So looking in the lines of casting here, William H. Macy basically begged the Coens for the role of Jerry Lundegaard. He did two readings for the part and became convinced that he was the best man for the role. But when the Coens didn't get back to him, he flew to New York where they had started production and basically told them, I'm very, very worried that you're going to screw up this movie by giving this role to somebody else. It's my role and I'll shoot your dogs if you don't give it to me. Very aggressive. I'm not sure that is something that Jerry would do in real life. And by real life... I mean, Fargo life. He would hire someone else to do it. Did you see that Richard Jenkins actually lost the role to William H. Macy? They also had Bill Pullman turn down the role as well. I mean, I can see Richard Jenkins in the role. I'm not sure Bill Pullman would have been a great fit, though. He's he far too cool. straight off his uh, Independence Day. You can't have the President of the United States coming in old Jerry Lundegaard style. Yeah, of course, because the President of the United States is obviously always very upstanding gentleman. Yeah, he's definitely not a goofy <laughs> clown. <laughs> So the actors had to use a book called How to Speak Minnesotan to help with their accents. And that book title's pretty much on the nose. Yeah. As you can, and as you can clearly tell, I did not read that book. How do you think they went with it? Did better than what I did. I mean, who knows? We've never been there. 
they could actually sound like that. I'll have to take their word for it. Which word is that, Hendo? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Peter Stormare has about 18 lines of dialogue in the entire movie and never says more than a complete sentence at one time. By comparison, Steve Buscemi has over 150 lines of dialogue. Yeah, and I love I love the way that Steve Buscemi plays that off. You know, it's like, are you going to fucking say anything? <laughs> they, are, they are the Coen brothers, Jay and Silent Bob. Sure. So, do you know why this movie is called Fargo? Because Brain Nerd is a stupid name for a film. That's right. That's right. And that is it. And that is exactly it. Do you know that not one single scene was filmed interior or exterior in Fargo? Yep. It's all it's all outside of there. And even in the film itself, there's only one small scene that takes place in Fargo, and that's right at the start. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, thank God, because, yeah, Brain Nerd is a stupid name. But this was released as a limited release on the 8th of March in 1996 in America with a runtime of 98 minutes with a tagline of a lot can happen in the middle of nowhere. A lot can happen in 98 minutes, I'll tell you right now. Mm. What do you think of that tagline? Yeah, it's good. It's fine. What about the other ones here? A homespun murder story? Nah, not as good. Small town, big crime, dead cold. Eh, the first one's the best. And the last one here, an ordinary place, an extraordinary thriller. I mean, sort of patting themselves on the back a bit, no? <laughs> yeah, so I, I agree with you. I think the first one's better. Hmm. How good is the runtime, though? I legit thought this was definitely two hours plus this film. Well, we have done trivia before that the Coen brothers have not made a movie over two hours. Yes, I do remember that trivia tidbit from random Coen movie that we did once. No Country for Old Men is a random Coen film, is it? I didn't know we were doing trivia back then, Hendo. We were doing trivia, just weren't talking about composers and cinematographers back then. You weren't doing trivia back then, that's for sure. I was probably doing more trivia back then than I do now. (laughs) (laughs) But this did have a budget of around roughly $7 million and worldwide grossed $60 million. Jesus. Well done, Fargo. Well done, Coen's, Hendo. Well done, Coen's. Coen's are getting big at this point, especially with the old uh, Oscars there. And the Oscar goes to... Ethan and Joel Cohen for Fargo. Seven nominations that year for Fargo. Nominated for Best Cinematography, which it lost to The English Patient. Best Director for Joel Cohen, which he lost to Anthony Minella for The English Patient. Can I ask, off the top of your head, is it always only Joel Cohen is director? I thought it was both of them. Is No Country both of them? I think so. Yeah, I feel like I've, I saw them both on stage accepting that. Yeah, I think there's several of them that are just Joel. I don't think there's any that are just Ethan. So Joel's like the Matt Damon to Ethan's Ben Affleck. Sure. He was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor for William H. Macy, which he lost to Cuba Gooding Jr. for Jerry Maguire. I mean, that is that is ridiculous. Really? Not a, not a Cuba Gooding Jr. fan? I mean, is anyone? Like, what's he doing now? Is everyone awaiting the third sequel to Snow Dogs, or is it just me? What's William H. Macy doing? Shameless? Yes, that huge hit TV show. Yes, Shameless. Well, Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, did the, what is it, The People vs. O.J. Simpson uh, a couple of years ago, which was a big hit. I mean, was it? It wasn't exactly renowned for its great acting performances. You know you're in trouble when you're acting opposite David Schwimmer, Hendo. Yeah, I guess you're right. When was the last time you saw Jerry Maguire, in all seriousness? Uh, a couple of years ago now. Oh, really? That recently? Yeah, maybe four or five years ago. Okay. I don't think I've seen it since I was like 15. So, you're, you're telling me that William H. Macy should have won supporting actor here? I'm saying that William H. Macy's performance is amazing in this film. He's supporting actor. Is there any 
like best actor for this film or is everyone just supporting because they're all I, spread out? Maybe this is a, a hot take, but I don't think there is a best actress in this film, Hendo. Yeah, uh, Frances McDormand is kind of like the, the Hannibal Lecter supporting role here. She does not turn up until like 33 minutes into this 90-minute film, mm. and even then it's not like every scene she's in. She's one of, what, three storylines that are going on, and it's just like, I, I couldn't believe it when I watched this recently, and she was not in the first third of this film. Yeah, it, it, I didn't believe that too. Like a, it, it was going, what, 30 minutes? I'm like, where's Frances McDormand? Is yeah. she supposed to be in this film? Like nothing. They don't even introduce her with her husband early on and then bring her back in later. It's just it's just nothing. But the other nomination it got was Best Picture, which it lost to The English Patient. Actually, scratch that. It also nom- it was also nominated for Best Film Editing, which it lost to The English Patient. The film editor, Roderick James. Do you know who Roderick James is, Dean? Yeah, Roderick James is the pseudonym that Joel and Ethan Cohen used. Use. Do they still use it? They still do. Because they felt like they were putting too many of their own names in the credits. And did you hear about the the gag they were going to do at the Academy Awards that year? Yeah, they were going to get Albert Brooks. Finney. Brooks. Finney. I wasn't sure if it was Finney or Brooks, and I went with Brooks. Is Albert Finney the one in Drive? That's Albert Brooks. Who is Albert Finney? I don't know. I know the name. Yeah, they were going to get him to dress up and accept the award, but be someone else, like pretend to be Roderick James. Yeah, yeah apparently the Academy frowned on that, and luckily they didn't have to do that. Yeah, Albert Finney, most known for Murder on the Orient Express, he played Hercule Poirot in the 1974 version. Okay. He was also Kincaid in Skyfall. Do you remember that guy? Nope. Oh, sorry. Aren't you a James Bond fan? I'm not an Albert Finney fan, though. How do you know? You don't even know who it is. Well, I'm clearly not a fan if I don't know who he is. Anyway, the two Oscars at one You let me down, Hendo. You let me down. As always, Best Actress in a Leading Role to Frances McDormand, and it won Best Original Screenplay. Fargo also was at the 1996 Cannes Film Festival, where Joel Cohen won the festival's Prix de la Mise en Scene, which is the Best Director Award, and was also also nominated- Have you been practicing that, Hendo? No, I, I can just I can see what you know French looks like, and I can do it quite well. You speak really fast. Pretty limb isn't seen. I don't have the the accent with it. I just say it in, a, in the Australian accent. Try do the French accent. No, <laughs> you just gotta don't you do like a little bit more of an L there. Pretty limb isn't seen. Hey, that's heaps better. Oh, thank you very much. And it was also nominated for the Palm Door that year, which it lost to English Patient. No, I think <laughs> it lost to Secret and Lies from memory. Ah, of course, should should have known. Peter Stormare later formed a band called Blonde from Fargo as a homage to his breakthrough American role. <laughs> homage, more like homage. cash grab. <laughs> <laughs> and you know a bit, you know a bit about this trivia now, Dean. The film was selected in 2006 for preservation in the National Film Registry of the United States by the Library of Congress as culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. One of the fir- one of only six films designated in its first year of eligibility. So you understand what that means now. Yes, I do. Thank you so much, Jacob, for that. <laughs> and in 1998, the AFI named it one of uh, one of the 100 greatest American films in history. I also saw that it was named by AFI in one of the top 100 American comedies. And I think one of the years they had Marge Gunderson at like 33rd, I think it was, for memorable characters. Well, there you go. Siskel and Ebert both ranked Fargo as the best film of 1996. Ebert called it uh, one of the best films he's ever seen, adding that films like Fargo are why I love the movies. They actually put it at fourth on their list of best films of the 1990s. Very high praise, Hendo. 
But looking at some scores around the board here, Rotten Tomatoes give this a 93%, saying violent, quirky, and darkly funny, Fargo delivers an original crime story and a wonderful performance by McDormand. Metacritic giving an 85%, Letterboxd giving it a big 4.2 out of 5, which is quite large for that uh, that site over there. But let's have a look at the history of Fargo in the IMDb Top 250 list. All right, this debuted onto the very first list back in April 1996 at number 67 and ended up peaking as high as number 15 in late 1997. It's pretty high. Number 15, eh? Very high. Certainly dropped away from there. I was going to say, for the next 23 years, it just was on a steady decline, dropping all the way down to where it is currently sitting at number 175 with an 8.1 over 594,000 ratings. Very nice. All right, Dean, if you're ready, let's get into our breakdown of Fargo. So we get some, uh, some what, title credits come up here saying this is a true story. Yeah, true story. Uh, you lying pieces of shit, yep. Collins. How dare you? So this film actually is not based on a true story. The Coens later admitted that they added this disclaimer so that the viewers would be more willing to suspend disbelief in the story. And while the specific crimes in the movie didn't happen, the plot has elements of two well-known Minnesota crimes. Did you look up on these crimes, Dean? Of course. Why don't you share that then? So there was a man, Richard Crafts, who actually wood-chipped his wife. And what happened was they were able to get enough DNA from the flesh bits that came out the other end that they could prove it was that person. And they prosecuted him. It was the first time in that state, uh, I think it was Ohio, to be honest, uh, that they had actually prosecuted someone without having a body. And they sentenced him to 50 years in prison. And would you believe it, he got out November last year. Really? Because I heard he's getting released in prison June 2020. Yes, I did also see that, but if you actually dig a little deeper, Hendo, you'll see that he was released November last year. Well, if you dug a little deeper, you'd find out that this story actually wasn't one of the stories that uh, equated to the crime. Because I would chipper, though. In 1962, a St. Paul attorney named Eugene Thompson actually hired someone to kill his wife, Carol. And unbeknownst to Thompson, the guy he hired actually hired someone else to do the job instead. And the second man actually fatally wounded Mrs. Thompson in her house, but she managed to escape. She went to a neighbor's house to help. Did you just while say her fatally es- wounded and she escaped? Yeah, she died I'm later. I'm not sure you, I'm not sure, oh, okay. I was going to say, yeah. maybe you don't know what fatally wounded means. She managed to get to a neighbor's house uh, while the assailant fled the scene and the sloppiness and the brutality of the crime attracted pretty great attention. The murderers were quickly caught and gave up Thompson who denied knowing anything about the crime for many years afterwards. And the other one was from 1972, where Virginia Piper, who was the wife of a wealthy Orono banker, was kidnapped. There was a million dollar ransom was a million dollar ransom was paid. It was one of the largest in U.S. history. And Mrs. Piper was found tied to a tree in a state park. Two men were convicted of the crime, but were acquitted after a retrial. And one of them actually later went on a shooting spree, uh, killing his ex-wife, their five-year-old son, her son from a previous marriage, her new boyfriend, and one of his sons as well. And apparently only $4,000 of that million-dollar ransom was found. Probably because he buried it in the snow. Yeah, that's the part they left out. Hmm. But yeah, when did you find, when did you find out it wasn't a true story? Uh, I have no idea. I found out pretty funny after I finished watching it. And I was watching it with my wife and sister-in-law, and she she mentioned, Hold on, oh, you, yeah. this recent rewatch, you didn't realize? No. 
<laughs> I, didn't oh, no, realize I, was- I definitely knew watching it on this one that it was all fake. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I saw a while ago that it was, but I never, I completely forgot about it. But we were talking after the movie, and I'm like, "Yeah, it was a it was a true story." And they're like, "Oh, that's interesting." And so I'm like, "Yeah, I'll put on some um, you know some trivia videos about Fargo." And the first thing they say, "This is actually not a true story." <laughs> I'm like, "God damn it!" <laughs> but we start off here with some with a long shot of a car towing another car down the snow over the credits. That Carter Burwell score going on here. Very good that it mirrors essentially the end of the movie here after it's all said and done, and you got the police cars. You know, after they've picked up Gaya. Basically looking down the same road. Same shot and everything. All the cop cars coming down. I feel like it's one of those things where they show you a shot and then it's like two weeks prior. Yeah, it ends on the same shot. Yeah. Hmm. I think that's what it is. It's not. You don't think so? No, because this shot is Jerry driving the car down to see Carl and Gaya. And the final shot is the cop cars and the ambulance after they've been at the, uh, the cabin. Definitely a correlation though. Yes, Definitely. But we get our first and only scene in Fargo, Minnesota. We got our Jerry Lundegaard here. Yeah, they're at the King of Clubs bar. Um, and he's, he's, he's meeting these two hitmen for the first time. I mean, this guy, Jerry, is so out of his element. He's, this Jerry is such, he's such a, a knob. He's such a knob. This whole movie. He's such an annoying knob. I love how innocent and out of place he looks here, though. Like, if you just, like, look at him... As he looks here, he's got this giant oversized jacket on. And it, all it does for me is it just makes him look even smaller in there. Makes <laughs> him look real it makes him look really meek. Yeah. And then he comes up against, you know, Steve Buscemi, who's very aggressive verbally, and Peter Stormare, who is very aggressive physically. He's just so outmatched on every level here. But this basically sets up the movie here. What what they what these three are planning to do here. It's essentially I'm going to pay you to kidnap my wife, split the 80k ransom, and you know you get a car as well. And it, that's all you need to know about this film so far. Yeah, the, yeah, it does set up the plot, but it's there's some funny lines here. Like when when they get the times wrong, and and Carl, it is Carl, isn't it, Steve Buscemi? Yeah. And Carl says, "We've been sitting here an hour. He's peed three times already." Like that's a good, you know, barometer of time. <laughs> How many times you go to take a piss every 20 minutes? No, but that also shows. I guess it shows Carl's authority over their relationship here. Like he's even, he may not have been late. Like imagine if he wasn't late and they're just saying that to, to get the upper hand on him. I don't think Carl would do that. Carl is, seems very down to earth and matter of fact, very uh, Mr. Pink, I must say. I wonder where you got that from. No, like for real, I think the the character, Steve Fasimi's character from this and Reservoir Dogs. Have Jerry, very... come on. We're supposed to be fucking professionals here. <laughs> yeah, ex- Exactly. <laughs> Betty drops the car off and heads back to Minneapolis, Minnesota. And we meet his family. A wife, Jean, and his father-in-law, Wade. What do you think of him here, Dean? Wade. Old father-in-law, Wade. I mean, he's he's fine. He's He plays his role very convincingly. He's the grumpy, you know, father-in-law who hates Jerry. Like, yeah, he's doesn't so, respect him whatsoever. So mean to him. Like, yeah. it's... He's just flat out ignoring him in some in some bits. And there's other parts where he's flat out telling him, like, I don't, you know, you're basically weak and meagre and I don't trust you with anything we're doing. Yeah, and even, like, Jerry saying, oh, I've got this deal I want to talk to you, you know, um, we'll never have to worry again. And, you know, Wade sort of comes back with, well, Gene and Scotty will never have to worry. Yeah. Don't worry about them. They're fine. I will take care of them. I will not take care of you, though. 
Pretty much. But what like, does he like? Where does this all where does this all come from? Like he he works for Wade, doesn't he? As like the executive financier or something for the for the the car place. Is he an executive? He is an executive. That like he's basically running the show there. Okay, yeah, that's right. Because when Marge comes down, he is her point of contact there. So yeah, okay, yeah. he would be like yeah. But I feel like this is like a is this some sort of masculinity thing as well? He like he's, he wants to get out of the shadows of his father-in-law. He wants he feel like he hasn't accomplished anything in his life, and he wants to have the money to get away from his father-in-law. Like we never oh. find out the reason why he want why he needs this money. I mean, do we need? No, we don't. We don't find out the reason why he needs the money ever. And we find out that he's in trouble for a couple of smaller things, but we don't find out why he needs a million dollars. But you also uh, find out like he's he's doing all these random schemes as well, like the situation with the serial numbers on these cars as well. That he's scene just, is so funny. Oh, <laughs> like it's just it. You mentioned before William H Macy. He puts in a, an amazing performance here, and. I don't like this character, and that's the re- like his performance makes that happen. Like I hate his smarminess. He is just this, this, this miserable little weasel of a guy who tries to put on this big smile and this, you know, everything's happy chappy, but he's not. And it's he's, <laughs> he's you see, yeah, and, I, this film, like, and I think he, I think this this scene here with when he's talking to the the two people who are going to buy a car, he's talking about the true coat. I think this sums him up so perfectly. Like, yep. he's just, he's really pushing this true coat. Like, and the customer's getting angry, like saying, no, you said the car was ready. We're not doing it. And, you know, Jerry's just like, well, uh, it's already on there. I can't take it back. And he's like, oh, oh, you know, all right, all right. Listen, I don't normally do this, but I'll go talk to my boss. Talks to no one. I mean, we've all yeah. done that before in retail. Oh, I'll go all the out time. back, you know. <laughs> You stand there for a minute and you go back out. Yeah, it's, the customer likes to think that you've you've looked out back, even if you know what is out there. Like he already knows the answer here. He's not going to go speak to a boss. Yeah, he knows what what to do here. He comes back, and I love his attitude when he comes back. It's the just big like, stupid grin on his face. He's just so proud, and he sells the customers like, yeah, you got nothing to worry about here. He never done this before, but seeing as it's special circumstances and all. He says I can knock a hundred dollars off that true coat, <laughs> and it's just like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? But then but you're the a fucking look, liar. The look on William H Macy's face when they they start abusing him, I feel like he knows that he's a piece of shit. He knows that what he's doing is dodgy and you know disrespectful and slimy. But that's what he's got to do to survive now in his world. So yeah, but I feel I also feel like he's 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 doing that sad puppy dog like that mood like yeah you're right i am bad because he doesn't want to have the confrontation he just wants to give him that look like yeah i'm sorry he doesn't he doesn't say i'm sorry but he just has that sad stupid look on his face like he doesn't want to he doesn't want to face it yeah yeah now jerry he just looks so defeated he just plays a loser so well William H. Oh, Macy. massive loser, this Jerry guy. And even actually, before before we move on, like even that little scene where he goes and speaks to that random guy, if you actually think about what, what he said here, he goes and says to this guy, hey, do you have an extra ticket for the, the golf match? And the guy just looks at him with such disdain like, are you kidding? And that's the scene. Like that already shows how much disrespect he's getting from like a co-worker, arguably yeah. an employee. It's insane. That whole scene with the the customer in the true coat that was based off a, a situation that Ethan Cohen had in real life. He said it was basically line for line what had happened to him. Yeah, verbatim, you could say, Hendo. I'll leave, I'll leave that word for you. But we get some 
Escorts, Hendo. Um, I'd uh, probably not high class hookers, but they're there. They are there, and then they're not. I mean, they come back. Yeah, in a quite memorable memorable scene. Yeah, one of them is actually uh, Frances McDormand's like speech therapist coach. Yeah, so at least her accent is true. You want to you want to get an actual Minnesota Minnesota? Well, it's a true accent. story, Hendo. <laughs> no, but we were talking about what, were all the actors' accents here were they were they well? Like, did we think they did were a good they job well? Of them? Yeah, were we, well? we we did ask were they well? Were they well? But if you want to compare, you want to compare, you look at this uh, this Minnesotan hooker. I think they prefer to be called escorts, Hendo. Maybe it's a bit different over in Minnesota. Don't want to offend all the prostitutes we have listening, Hendo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but Jerry wants to call it off because, what is it, waiters, you know, contact him. He thinks the the parking lot thing is a good deal and he thinks he's going to get all this money from him. (laughs) Yeah, so Jerry goes to talk to his friend who, you know, got him in contact with these two hitmen, uh, Shep. Shep Proudfoot. Shep Proudfoot. Uh, you see, because Jerry refers to Shep in the scene where he meets uh, Carl and Gaia as like his friend. And he seems yeah. like someone that, you know, he has a very good relationship with that he'd go to him to, you know, organize people to kill his wife and whatnot. This guy hates him too. Yeah. And, like- and the way he acts around him too. He tries to act all cool with him and Shep just doesn't like want to speak to him at all. He's like, yeah, I don't know them. I didn't vouch for them. I vouched for the other guy. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I need to get... I don't know them. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, good Good talking with you, Shep. Good talking with you, Shep. Like, oh, shut up, Jerry. Yeah, it's so good. I did see that William H. Macy said that despite evidence to the contrary, he did hardly any ad-libbing at all and all the character's stuttering mannerisms were written in the script exactly the way he does it for the film. You could say it's an Oscar-worthy screenplay, Hendo. But not an Oscar-worthy performance, apparently. Apparently not. I did like this, you know, one-sided conversation in the car with Carl and Gaia, where Carl's just like... Yeah, I'm sitting here driving, doing all the driving, man, whole fucking way from Brainerd, driving, just trying to chat, you know, keep our spirits up, fight the boredom of the road, and you can't say one fucking thing just in the way of conversation. Oh, fuck it, I don't have to talk either, man. See how you like it. Total fucking silence. Two could play at that game, smart guy. We'll just see how you like it. Total silence. It's like, shut, shut up, up Steve. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another great scene with Jerry here where he's on the phone to the finance guy. Oh, man. This guy's just like, he's like, yeah, no, I, I got that fax over, but uh, I can't I can't make out the serial numbers very okay, well. Can, okay, okay, all right, oh, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll fax them on over. No, 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 don't fax them. Send them over. Oh, yeah, that's that's what I mean. I'll, I'll have my girl just fax them over. No, send them. <laughs> okay, now. Okay. <laughs> now we get the, uh, the the robbery, the kidnapping here. Man, I, I was laughing so hard when... She's just sitting there watching TV, and up comes Carl up the stairs, trying to peek <laughs> through the window. <laughs> She's like, "What is this?" Yeah, she almost does not realize that. Hey, shit, we're in trouble here. Until they smash the window. Yeah, she's just like, "Oh yeah, just knitting. They'll yeah. go away. Yeah, they'll 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 see me here, so they'll they'll realize the place isn't empty, so they'll leave." Nah. And that moment where she's in the bathroom and they think she's jumped out the window and they're standing there and uh, Carl runs downstairs and leaves Gaia in there and he's looking at the mirror and you just slowly see him look at the shower curtain behind him. Mm. It's so good. Yeah, because honestly, when I was watching it, oh, I watched it twice uh, this week, but the first time I watched it, 
I didn't even think that she was in the shower. They did that whole trick where they open the window and then it cuts back and she's not there. I'm like, well, they're going to chase her out the window now. And then when he's look, because he's looking through the cabinet for something to put on the bite mark he just got. So I'm like, that's all yeah. I'm focusing on. And then you see, yeah, that when it just stops and I, it took me like, when he started turning slowly, I'm like, what's going on? Oh my God, the shower. Yeah. It's a very tense scene. Yeah. And then she wrecks it all by falling down the stairs with the shower curtain on. I thought she was dead when it yeah. happened. When I, she I rolled re- down the stairs, I was like, oh, fuck, did she just die? I couldn't remember if she dies in this film or not. So I would have found it perfectly plausible that she just died there. Like the whole situation yeah. has gone that fucked up. I thought she may have sustained fatal injuries at this moment. But no, Jerry's up in the, the big building here with Wade and he's his accountant. What's his accountant's name? We're not a bank, Jerry. That that scene is is just heartbreaking for Jerry. He gets. It's funny how aggressive he gets, but needs to rein it in. This this was my deal. I I, I need the money. It's my deal. Do you think Wade knew what Jerry thought was going to happen, or was he genuinely surprised when he's like, "What are you talking about? I'm not giving you all the money. Like no, we're I the think, ones uh, taking the risk." I think he was genuinely genuinely surprised. It's like what, like. How do you, what what where's the benefit for me here? Like I'm just giving you money if that's the case. I and don't think he was I don't think he was hustling him. I think he was after it all when he's like, well, if you're not interested in it, then we'll just move ahead of ourselves yeah, on it. Which is what a sl- what a slap in the face that is, yeah. because like they're basically just saying, All right, we're gonna do it and we won't pay you a finder's fee now. <laughs> no, but I think he's genuinely shocked because he's like he's probably gone into that deal, like, yeah, we'll give you a finder's fee because that's the way the business works. And he's like, No, no, give me all the money for me myself. He's like, I guarantee you your money back. I'm not talking about your damn word, Jerry. Yeah, exactly. But we get this great overhead shot of Jerry slowly walking to his car in just huge yeah. amounts of snow here. Uh, did you mention this, the issues they had with snow in this film? I didn't, but... So yeah. this, is, this was actually the second warmest winter Minnesota had seen in 100 years. There was hardly any snow. So the majority of the snow that you actually see here, they either... Like manually manufactured it and put it yeah. down or moved north, like went as far up as filming in Canada to try and find locations where they actually had snow. Yeah, like I saw that the scene coming up where Steve Buscemi, Carl, uh, drives into the parking lot to change the license plates, they had to do that in one take because that was all the, you know, the fake snow and to reset that would have taken like the entire day to fix it all up. As well as when he goes and hides the briefcase of money later, in reality, if it was if it was actually snow at that point, it would have been up to like you know his waist instead of his you know the bottom of his legs. Yeah, and it should not have been that hard for him to dig then. Yeah, you know, like it should have been so thick, so fluffy. But have you ever been to the snow? I've never been to snow. I imagine it's thick and fluffy. I went to the snow once. I think it All was. All right, no need to brag, Hendo. <laughs> when was it? I think it was back in like two thousand and two, so eighteen years ago. So yeah, that's my brag, my humble brag. Nice. But no, seeing William H. Macy lose his shit with the claw on his windscreen. Oh. <laughs> but it, it's still it's still a weak, meekish kind of getting angry as well. Well, because like he's so ineffective. It. He's <laughs> so ineffective. It's not actually doing anything. No. But he's trying so hard. How good is it when he gets home and pretends to, like he's practicing on the phone? Oh, it's weird, great. Weird. Apparently it's, that was his idea. Yeah. Oh. I didn't, like, the first time you hear him say it, I'm like, he's actually on the phone. And then when he does it again, I'm like, yes, oh my God, yes. he's practicing. Yeah. And he's he's trying to, he's getting so worked up about it. And then he calls. Uh, uh, Wade Gustafson, please. Just yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, of course, he's got to go through a secretary to speak to his father-in-law. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but things take a, a bit of a, a drastic turn here. We end up at nighttime now with 
Carlin Gay are getting pulled over by the cop, which is my excellence. Nice, yeah, one of one of many possible excellence for me, Hendo. This I think is where it really, really takes that that violent turn. Like there hasn't been any violence in this film yet whatsoever. And when the cop pulls him over, man, it is it's incredibly tense. The way it's shot, that ominous music in the background as it's happening, you think you don't know if Carl is gonna, you know, smooth talk his way out of this. And you haven't really had much of Gaia either and what he's capable of. All he does is just be silent and sit there. So when the plan doesn't work for Carl and Gaia just unloads, like smashes this guy's head on the steering wheel and just shoots him in the head and that that blood that pours out all over Carl's face. I was like, what? Spurts. Yeah. Like shit. <laughs> And even yeah, the look on Carl's uh, face, like, holy shit, that just fucking happened. Yeah, very unexpected. Like, I've seen this probably twice before, and that took me by surprise. I was like, damn, Gaia is a cold-ass motherfucker. Yep, and then when he's trying to drag the body out, here come these two passerbys. Unlucky for these people. I yeah. didn't know what was going to happen here either. Because I'll I'll tell you now, I, I just watched Blood Simple yesterday, and the Coens do this, Seems to be they seem to do it a lot, where they have a lot of dark highways with the lights coming towards them because there's a situation in Blood Simple where it's essentially the same thing. A guy is like dragging, you know, a body on the road trying to get it like hiding before this car drives past. Same situation. Yeah. So do you know about this victim in the in the field stuff? Yes, I do. Was he he I can't remember what he did on the the production, but he was yeah, So part the of actual it? guy the actual guy is J. Todd Anderson who does the storyboards for most of the Cohen films. And interestingly, in the you know end credits, his name J. Todd Anderson isn't actually there. Where his name should be, it's the symbol that the artist formerly known as Prince uh, took, and it's mm. that symbol laying down. Now, J. Todd Anderson has said previously that he used that symbol because he is the storyboard artist formerly known as J. Todd Anderson. And coincidentally, Prince is also from Minnesota. So that's that little connection there. It brought up some speculation that Prince was actually in the film. They're like, no, no, he's not. Don't worry about it. But yep, unlucky for those passerbys as Gaia chases them down and takes them out. Very cold-blooded, like you said. One shot each, done. And here's where we finally get introduced to Marge Gunderson. What an intro. Yeah, it is a great intro. Like, she gets woken up. She gets this, you know, pretty serious call-out. And I don't know about you, but if I have a, like, say, a fridge issue or a, an alarm go off at, at my store and I get a middle-of-the-night call out, I am up and out pretty damn quickly. But here we go. She gets called out for a murder. Multiple homicides, mind you. I'll fix you some eggs. Mm-hmm. Well, they're already dead. I mean, it's not like they can get any dead. I have some eggs before you go. I'll get you quicker, uh, make you uh, think quicker on your feet. Love you, Margie. <laughs> ah, Norm. Did you did These you just two. watch this? Did you just watch this and think, careful, Marge? He's a Zodiac killer. <laughs> he looked familiar when I saw. He's I, right I, next to you. <laughs> you know how I remembered when um, I didn't know I, I knew his face. I'm like, he looks familiar. And then the credits came up. I was like, John Carroll Lynch. I'm like, oh my god, that's that guy. <laughs> Oh, are you serious? You didn't know immediately? Nah. Oh, God. Joel Cohen actually had Francis McDormand and John Carroll Lynch conceive a backstory for their characters to get the feel of them. So they decided that Norman Marge met while working on the police force, and when they were married, they had to choose which one had to quit. And since Marge was a better officer, Norman quit and took up painting. Very touching. Do you know that uh, Francis McDormand is married to Joel Cohen? 
Yeah, uh, I think they were married before Blood Simple. Yeah. Which he also stars in. He does. She. Oh, she does, yeah. Hmm. Of course. You know her wig is fake too? Yes, I saw that. Apparently she could never grow her hair like that. Yeah, I say too as well as her pregnant uh, belly, obviously. Yeah, well, the pregnancy pillow was filled with uh, bird seed and she said she deliberately tried to not move in a pregnant way as it would simply come across her natural response to keeping the extra weight balanced. That's how she tried that. As well as the fact that she accidentally left the pregnancy suit in her trailer one night and the silicon breast in the suit froze and then exploded on the set the day after. Mm, which, I mean, does happen to pregnant women sometimes. Freezing their silicon boobs so they explode. Well, their boobs exploding. I don't, th- I don't think you mean it that literally. Maybe maybe exploding is a very aggressive term for leaking. <laughs> <laughs> and even just this scene where they're sitting there eating their brekkie and she, she's got to go. So, of course, Norm steps over to the other side and eats the eggs when she goes. Just for her you know, to come back in. You know. Hi. Yeah? Prowler needs a jump. These two, they're just they're so lovable. Yeah, they are. They're a great couple. Um, but now we see Margie in all her glory. Oh, Margie. Of being a legitimately great detective. Still still like, with that accent, though. And we get this is, uh, execution tape deal. She is all over this whole scenario to a T. And I love that her, her friend cop here is He's just... He's not helpful he, at all. He'll suggest something. <laughs> and she says... She's so nice about it. She's just like, Hey, I'm not sure I entirely agree with your police uh, work there, yeah? <laughs> I'm not sure that I agree with you 100% on your police work there, Lil. Yeah. Yeah. I love how all this is like it's a, it's a, she's doing basically an autopsy of the scene, right? But she's adding in this this comedy that's adding in too. Like she's standing there, and then all of a sudden she immediately crashes down, and her partner's like, "You see something down there, chief?" No, I just think I'm gonna barf. <laughs> oh, you jeez, yeah. you okay there, Margie? Yep. Now I'm hungry again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, how bad was that joke about the personalized plates? What was the joke? Do you hear the one about the guy who couldn't afford personalized plates, so he went and changed his name to J3L2404? What was that joke? And, and, and your partner's like, yeah, that's a good one. That's all it is. <laughs> but here's where we get Jerry uh, with Wade and their accountant friend uh, talking about the ransom. And here's shifty Jerry here talking about how it's a million. I did not remember this. Oh, I love that bit. When it's like, hold on, I thought it was only 80,000. Oh. You dodgy buzz. And he it's is, not, he's and it's so not even gritty. 80. It's splitting. It's splitting the 80. You get 40, I get 40. Exactly. Exactly. There's, there's so much themes of greed in this film. Not just with this, you know, obviously Jerry trying to make all this money, but you also get it with Carl later with not only hiding all the money later, but then getting incredibly angry with Gaia about how, trying to split the fee of the, of the new car as well. Oh, I know. It's like, mate, you just got a million dollars. Why yeah. are you arguing over this? <laughs> Give him the Sierra. <laughs> but I love I love this little bit here where he is still talking with Wade and the accountant. And Wade, I think it was Wade that says, is Scotty going to be all right like their son? Oh, no, the and accountant fella says this. Yeah, Jerry's just like... Oh, like, shit, oh, yeah. yeah. Scotty, uh, I'll go talk to him. Like, he's completely forgotten about him. Like, and how this would be affecting this kid. Mm. He's such a selfish, greedy, loser asshole, this Jerry. Interestingly, the actress that plays Jean actually uh, was not no longer needed once she filmed a mm. scene of the house getting uh, abducted. Every scene you see now of Jean, she has a hood on and is played by just a stand-in. Yeah, well... Why would you need her there? But of course, we've got another scene together of Marge and Norm having lunch. All you see these two do is eat and lay in bed. 
Yeah, and Marge is discussing Norm's painting competitions. Sure. So boring. <laughs> it's not that bad. No, I mean, like, I just feel bad for Marge, basically, having to... No, she loves it. She's so in love with Norm. <laughs> she is, but, jeez, it's dry she's so, conversation. She's so supportive. She's so supportive of him, especially at the end when he, you know, he's only on the three-cent stamp. She's like, that's incredible. That's so good. That's, that's what everyone will go for when they can't afford the, the 49 cent stamps. <laughs> <laughs> but now we see Marge get a lead here from a car that was seen leading, leaving the truck stop, the, the blue ox. Uh, so she does eventually track down the escorts and starts interviewing them. And there's this funny bit where it's just like, oh, what do they look like? Ah, oh, one of them is funny looking, which I must say is a perfect way to describe Steve Buscemi. Yeah, you're spot on, mate. Like, he is a funny-looking fella. It's just, yeah, he's, you know, he's funny-looking. What do you mean? Oh, I just look funny. <laughs> funny how? <laughs> and Marge is so nice. She's just a big smile and the, and the, the nod, like, yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, she's very patient with them. <laughs> <laughs> and in fairness, they do give her her next lead. Like, they say, oh, they're going to Twin Cities, they said. so. Twin Cities, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, stop it, Endo. It's so <laughs> annoying. <laughs> but here's where we get Marge getting a call from Mike. Random Mike here. Middle of the, mor- middle of the night. Yeah. Awkward. Yep. Uh, just up for a chat. I wasn't sure what this guy's deal was. I was like, is he oh, you an find ex- out. Is he an ex-boyfriend? I thought it was a very odd scene. Um, but I did love the way that it's sort of capped off with Norm putting his arm around her and his yeah. like wedding ring is just like front and centre. Like, behave, Margie. <laughs> but you can see Jerry's getting into some deeper, deeper shit here. Obviously, Carl calls him up and says, we want the full 80K now. And even these, like, oh, now, come on, come on. That's, that's a <laughs> bit too much. Like, seriously, just go, yep, no worries, no worries. Let's just get this done. And the and this car serial people are all over him again. They're getting serious, and it's all it's all becoming a bit too much for him. And he has to take it out on his what's he taking out? On? He's just his desk board here. Yeah, he, he loses his shit a bit, but I mean you can't blame him. He is in a very very extreme situation. He is in he, way over his head. Yeah, it's his own fault, but oh, yeah. he's still he's still in this situation. And even Wade's on his case. Like he wants to sort the money out. He wants to to go and uh, see the kidnappers and he's just like, no, no, they said me. It's just got to be me. They don't they don't want anyone else about this deal here, Wade. It's got it's to be me. I love that. <laughs> I love the scene with Carl abusing the ticket guy wanting $4. <laughs> like, Again, I, all about greed. This really, this almost does sound like a Tarantino thing. Like, well, what do you mean? You decided not to park here? Yeah, I just came in. I decided not to park here, so. But, well, I, I'm sorry, sir. Yeah, I decided not to, uh, I, uh, you know, I'm not. Uh, I decided not to take the trip, as it turns out. So, well, I'm sorry, sir. We still got to charge you the four dollars. <laughs> and the, the look the guy gives his facial, like, what? what? I'm just doing my job. <laughs> think you're pretty fucking smart, there, don't you? I guess you think you're, uh, you know, like an authority figure. That stupid fucking uniform, huh, buddy? King clip-on tie there, big fucking man, huh? You know, these are the limits of your life, man. The rule of your little fucking gate here, here. There's your four dollars, you pathetic piece of shit. Which I think, in a way, his anger comes back when he goes and kills the other random guy at the at the gate later on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But Jerry goes to see Shep and sees that he's already talking to Marge here. Whoops. Yeah, that freaks him out a bit, doesn't it? When he sees her there, and even her talking to Shep, and because Shep's just like, "Yep, 
Nope. Nope. And just the yeah, way she the questions, explains the it. Questions that, yeah, the questions that she's asking, like, they need explanation. It's like, oh, they called your number middle of the night. You must remember something. Nope. She's she's so cunning. She's so, so intimidating in that nice way. It's like, now I saw some rough stuff on your priors, but nothing in the nature of a homicide. I know you don't want to be an accessory to something like that. And then after, after he, she basically explains it to him and he starts to realize, oh, shit. She's like, so you think you might remember who those folks were who called you? <laughs> and then she goes to see Jerry and bloody hell, Jerry is so shit. Yeah, he just he, he can't he can't handle himself. No, he's so shifty, and yeah. it's almost like at this point Marge doesn't see him as that shifty guy. No, and it is her meeting with Mike later that triggers her to go back. Yeah, but the way Jerry sits there and she's like, you know, so have you lost any cars recently? And he just sits there and doesn't answer. He's just swinging back and forth in his in his chair, and she's just like, uh, <laughs> Mister Lundergaard. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not a good liar. He's he's not someone that can think of stuff up on the spot, and no, he's trying to work he's out. Nervous. What's he's the so best, nervous. What's the best thing I can say here that will get her out of my office? Yeah, but now, now we do get this odd scene with Marge going to dinner with Mike. Oh, this uh, Mike guy! What is going on? Clearly, she's married. They haven't seen each other in a lifetime, and he just that strolls, moment when he goes, strolls when over, he s- sits next to her. Oh, can like, I sit here? No, why don't you sit over there? I prefer that. And yeah. just her face. Like, she's such a nice person. She's barely dropped her smile the entire time. And then this is the mo- the point where she- her face just drops. Yeah. And like, he apologizes and starts up, talking about his wife having just died of leukemia. Oh, cringe. She's just sitting there like, oh, God, I've got to get out of here. Oh, it's a depressing scene. Like, it really is. But it's all for shit. It's all lies. Yeah, it is. It is. Which, as you say, does serve to, you know be the catalyst for Marge finding out that he was lying about everything, maybe don't believe what Jerry is saying and go yeah. and see him again. But in between all that, we get Shep coming in and beating the shit out of Carl. Carl takes a beating in this film. Oh, let's, he does. Let's be honest. Uh, I did like the old in-out, in-out reference, though, from A Clockwork Orange. Yeah, I got that. That was funny. Do you? I, I find myself saying that in various day-to-day conversations. Hmm. Should probably stop <laughs> Not- saying that. <laughs> not not in like a um not in a seedy way. I'm not, not in the way it's supposed to be meant. Yeah, not in the way it's supposed to be meant, but I'm hoping that one day I'll I'll say it in a way that's meant to be innocent and someone will will give me the side eye like, hang on a minute. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna get into the shop. I'm gonna be in and out, in and out, in and out. I'm gonna get the old in out, in out. The rest of man. Yeah, so clearly Carl is super fucking angry here and calls Jerry with the threat and that's that sparks Wade. He's off. He's going to go he's going to go to the meeting point here. And you know, Jerry's lost complete control of this whole situation. He's in no control whatsoever. Yeah, and that moment when he can't stop Wade leaving the house and Wade has taken the million dollars and he's going to go see Carl and everything that Jerry had planned is just gone to shit. There's no way he's going to be able to get this money back. This leads into my... Excellent! I just love this stuff. Like, the tension here is incredible, and I I didn't know what was going to happen here. And the scene between Carl and Wade, where, like, Jerry has told Carl so many lies, and I love that when... Wade sees, or when Carl sees Wade, his reaction is actually, no, I, I told him I was only going to deal with him. And I was like, oh, so that wasn't a lie. <laughs> it's like, oh, good. <laughs> so, and who then, the fuck are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's funny. 
it's intense. And when when the shooting starts, it was just like, oh damn, because you don't think of Carl as the physically aggressive one. Like yeah. I, even though like these guys are obviously both dangerous, seeing Carl just pull the gun and shoot this guy was was awesome. And then copping that shot to these oh, cheek and like ripping his mouth open. No, I, I loved it. No, very good. Good scene to choose, Dean. And it's and it's topped off with, may I have your ticket, please? Open the fucking gate. <laughs> <laughs> And then you see Jerry driving up there and he, he, like you said, he's lost complete control. He has no idea what's going on. Pulls up and he sees Wade dead on the ground there. He knows he's fucked up really bad and he, you know, grabs him, chucks him in the boot and got to get out of there. Not without seeing, you know, the poor, you know, gate person dead on the ground too. Yeah, interesting strategy, uh, putting him in the boot. Where else is he going to put him? I mean, why would he put him anywhere? Well, they find if they find dead weight up there, more questions are going to get asked. They're going to start. They're going to all the police are going to start snooping around and try and find out. Oh, where's the where's the where's the daughter? Where where's the you know brother, where's the son-in-law? Hey, I interviewed this son-in-law guy a while ago about a stolen car. Yeah, I guess, but he's he's got to realize he's he's done now. But we get Carl here tending to his bloody face, takes the eighty k out of the case, and then buries it and uses that red shovel to mark the spot. Like, ah. Like, I still think it would be hard for him to find that spot again. I mean, what if it snows over? Yeah, exactly. And then in the summer, does it just get exposed fully? Yeah, it's just his briefcase just sitting there on the ground. <laughs> but Marge goes back to visit Jerry after, you know, she's had that epiphany that, you know, maybe he was probably lying. And again, he's just so shit. He's so nervous and he just acts so guilty. Yeah, he's so angry as well. He's just like, oh, so you want me to do a, a full inventory right now, do you? Is that what you want? It's like, Ma- nah. ma'am, I answered your question with a big <laughs> grin on his face. She's like, what? <laughs> ma'am, I answered your question. I'm sorry, sir. Ma'am, I answered your question. I answered the darn... I'm cooperating here. And there, uh, there's no... Uh... Sir, you have no call to get snippy with me. I'm just doing my job here. I'm... I'm not. Uh, I, I'm not arguing here. I'm cooperating. <laughs> yeah, but he flees, of course. And here's where we get Carl back at the cabin, and the the wife's dead. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that we didn't see that. It's yeah, just, just so yeah. It, it's it's off camera. It's yeah, yep. She she was annoying. She was making too much noise. Oh, oh, okay. Shit. Unlucky. Yeah. And I love when they when he gets into the argument with him about the car, and he goes to him, "I've been listening to your shit all week." <laughs> <laughs> no. He said nothing. He said nothing. And yeah, Carl, Carl's hilarious. Again, though, I forgot about this where Carl walks out and Gaia comes out with a fucking axe, like yep. boom. And Carl, just, Carl doesn't even try it. What, what does he do? He just takes it, just screams as he cops it in the neck. Yeah, I mean, he's done at that point. Yeah, but here's where we get this build up of Marge finds the car as she's driving along, sees the, sees the car and heads out on her own. And you just hear that faint noise in the background. Yeah, I must say, kind of stupid move from her. There's three murders at least tied to this car. She's yeah. by herself and heavily pregnant. Just wait. Like, just wait for backup. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, as you say, the sound of the wood chipper in the background and then that shot of him shoving that leg in. <laughs> and he got the sock, the sock on the foot. <laughs> yep. And even just like the, the muffled sound of her yelling out, you know, police, freeze. And he can't hear it. So she says it again and he just... He has that look like, did I just did I just hear something before he turns around? Yeah. Then the symmetry, the symmetry of him running with his back to her the same way yes. of the guy in the field and then she shoots him in the back of the leg this time. 
It's good. That was it. I didn't remember if he got shot for good here or if it was just like a you know a shot in the leg. I honestly couldn't remember if he died or not either. Hmm. But no, he gets arrested, and you know you got Marge giving her a little a little monologue at the end. You know, all over a little bit of money for all this stuff, and it's essentially what it is. This whole movie is about greed and. Money, 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 and look at all the deaths that happened just from that. Yeah, but but I love I love that in in lieu of all this, Marge is still so positive. She has yeah. such this great outlook on life. Like she sees all this negativity and all these horrors and murders, but she just she doesn't let it get to her. She's just she doesn't understand it. She's so pure. She it's is great. I love Marge so much. She's so good. Oh Margie. But of course, Jerry, the shrill little piece of shit he is. Even when he's, they're knocking on that door of the motel. It's like, you let us in? Okay, then. Just a minute. Yep, just one minute then. Okay. <laughs> and the way he gets arrested, you know, he's shrieking and basically crying on the bed, just making that awful noise. <sighs> I'm so glad he got arrested. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, that shows the caliber of the performance. Like, like you said, William H. Macy was fantastic in this movie. No, he was. It's great. And we end on Marge Norm in bed. Yep. Talking about Norm's day, how'd it go? Talking about stamps and yep. paintings and mallards. Just go back to their regular regular life. Couple yeah. couple of months to go left for the pregnancy, and then that's it. That's it. Uh, yeah, that is end of Fargo. Any last words? All right, Dean. What's your final thoughts on Fargo? Yeah, much better than I remembered. I'm not sure what I initially thought. I was probably thinking this would be about three and a half. Um, it's it's such a fun movie. Like everything about it works. Like all the performances are outstanding. We've said which ones are I like the most, but it just everything comes together so well for this movie. The script's fantastic. The score, as you said, it's so ominous. The cinematography. I mean, I know it's Deacon's. It didn't grab me uh, in the same way like some of his other work. I do like snow movies though, and I feel like snow is such a character in this film. So that was that was quite appealing to me, but honestly, like it's so short, it's so tight. Yeah, I, I bumped this right up. I went, I've gone four and a half for this one, Hendo. Wow, big big bump. Yeah, I initially after it immediately, I was like, yeah, four stars, easy. But then I'm thinking about, it, I'm like, there's nothing I don't like about this movie. It's so enjoyable. It's serious. It's funny. It's a great watch. Like really, really a great watch. What about you, mate? Yeah, I think we've been on the same page for the majority of this episode. I had a really fun time with this. Uh, both times I watched it this week. It's, a, a f- like you said, a tight, fun little murder mystery set in the snow, which makes it look much better. Uh, you know, those those wide shots, of, especially several shots of overhanging snow as they're walking through. You get like the little, like the scene with Jerry walking to his car. That was an outstanding shot. The characters are fantastic, you know, in their own lovable or despicable ways. They're played wonderfully by the essentially the whole cast. The script is fantastic as well. It's it's so funny, but in that dark way as well. Like the the you know all the oh yeah yeah that that I was laughing every single time. The way the way the conversations were being held with all these people was great. Whether you got you know happy chappy Marge against you know nervous as shit Jerry, or you've got aggressive Carl just spouting one liners over at Gaya. It was all of it was great. But I think in the end, there's not, there's nothing that's like absolutely amazing about this film. But there's nothing that's bad. There's nothing that's average either. It's everything is really, really good to great. So yeah, I'm going four stars for this film. Very nice. I was the best because the crowd loved me. 
All right, mate, where is this new four-and-a-half-star film going to sit on your rankings? Uh, I'm going to do this really quickly. I'm going to say this is my lowest-ranked four-and-a-half-star film, so I'm going to put it under... What's above it? Lower than Train Spotting, lower than Prisoners, lower than Stand By Me, lower than Your Name. Uh, and next up there is Logan, which is currently my highest four-star-ranked film. So... Fargo will be my new number 29, sitting nicely in between Logan and your name. Very good. All right, let's have a look at my list here. I'm going to start at the number 46 spot with Django Unchained, and let's move up the ranks here. It is better than Django Unchained. It is better than Some Like It Hot. Up to Vertigo now, and I think it's better than that. It's better than Once Upon a Time in America. Then we get to the Grand Budapest Hotel, and hmm... Yeah, I think it's better than the Grand Budapest Hotel, as well as Toy Story 3, and as well as The Two Towers. And then we hit our last breakdown we did, Dial M for Murder. And I think this is better as well. And then we hit The Wolf of Wall Street, and I think that's where it's going to stop. So for me, Fargo is my new number 39 out of 61. Nice. Hey, listeners, we just want to take a quick second here to thank you for taking the time out of your day to come and listen to us banter on about movies and all things movie-related. Yeah, it really does mean a lot to the both of us. We're always looking to improve our show and get our name out there, and there's a couple of ways you can help us. Yeah, one of the easiest ways is to just get the word of mouth out there. Let your family and friends know about the show and where they can find us, which is pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and of course, Podbean. We're very thankful to Podbean for taking on our podcast. Yeah, definitely. It's a great hosting site with a great app to go with it. Yeah, what I like about Podbean's app is you can actually comment on the episode you're listening to and it goes straight to us and we can reply back immediately. We've also opened up a new little merch store over on Public. We've got uh, a couple of t-shirts and hoodies and mugs and all that good stuff for sale. So if you're at all interested in getting a little bit of Movie Journey sweet, sweet merch, head on over there and see if anything tickles your fancy. Amazing! And if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can do so over on Twitter. Endo controls our main handle at the Movie Journey and I am at Dean. 250 journey you can also check out our facebook page at facebook.com slash the movie journey our letterbox pages where we keep our film diaries up to date i'm at letterbox.com slash dino underscore j88 really rolls off the tongue and you can find hendo at letterbox.com slash hendo and we also have a new facebook discussion group yeah a little listener community going on over there yeah head on over join up we'd love for you to be a part of the discussion exactly another way to help us out is to leave a five-star rating and review on itunes for us and like we've said if you screenshot your review and dm us we'll send you out some new sweet sweet merch and we actually got two new reviews but from the same person it's from jerry gergic with the title of simply the best and most engaging film podcast in the world And his review goes as follows. They're the best around. Nothing's going to ever keep the Movie Journey podcast down. They're the best around. Nothing's going to ever keep the Movie Journey podcast down. I guess he loves that song. I would hope so. He probably doesn't anymore, though. After that, that was abysmal. (laughs) Or if you're really loving the show and want more, why not check out our Patreon, where we post another weekly show, breaking down films not on the IMDb Top 250 list. Yeah, we've got over 70 episodes over there, including such classic film series like the Die Hard series, X-Men series, Mission Impossible series, as well as some notable film directors such as Wes Anderson, Edgar Wright, and even Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, that's right. There's also tons of benefits over there. Early access to our main show, patron-only polls that we put out on the regular. Yeah, exactly. You can even shape the show the way you want to by telling us what films you would like us to break down. So what's coming up this week, mate? Well, Dean, we're into a string of patron-requested reviews, and this week it's from our awesome patron, Jay, and he's gone with more rats. Nice. Good bit of comedy. 
Yes, well, his previous pick was Clerk, so I can see a bit of a pattern going on here. We'd also like to give a big shout out to our brand new patron, and that is Gerald from Two Peas in a Podcast. Thank you so much, buddy, for joining up. Hey, Gerald. Nice. I like it. Yeah, thanks a lot, Gerald. You're an amazing supporter of the show and now a fantastic supporter of our patron. Absolutely. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head on over to patreon.com slash themoviejourney and check out the myriad of rewards and benefits we have to offer. All right, mate, it's time for... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. Oh... And we've got a couple of of reviews here, mostly from our, well, not mostly, all from our patrons. First one here from Julio at the Contrarians podcast. Best movie to ever have an 8-bit poster. I don't know if that's good or bad. Is that a good or bad review, Julio? Next up from Ben Mulverhill. I love this film. It's quite weird and quirky, but it's also just the Coens on top form. And here's one from awesome patron Chris Beardsall. This is my introduction to the Coen brothers, and it was also the first DVD I ever bought, so I've seen this film countless times. Everybody shines in this film. However, Frances McDormand is a super lady. The world needs more cops like Marge Gunderson. Is this a five-star banger for me? Is this an all-time classic for me? You betcha. Uh, thank you very much, everyone, for putting in your reviews there. But, of course, we've got... Shane! I've seen Fargo a million times, but it's only now I properly appreciate it. I always thought it was a good movie, but overrated. Well, maybe I still think it is a little, but I can see more of what it has going on for it now. Fargo is an excellent character study where every actor gets a chance to shine in their well-written roles. I think I always thought Marge was the standout, but Steve Buscemi is absolutely brilliant in this film. The comedy is on point. I laughed a few times, often at just expressions or non-expressions that are being made. You can also see a lot of No Country for Old Men in the way it's shot and directed. At 98 minutes, the film goes by like a breeze and makes me wish movies today would trend to this length. The modern TV series was an expansion, improvement on the foundations that were laid here. But it's still a pretty good movie for stars. Very nice. Can I just say, Hendo, did we recently do a draft or list on uh, TV shows or movies that had become TV shows or something? We did a draft on, yeah, movies that were originally from TV shows. Oh, okay. I was going to say, because if we had Fargo as an option and didn't pick it, we were crazy, but it's all right. Have you seen the Fargo TV show? No. No, I haven't. I mean, you really should watch it. It's phenomenal. Well, if I ever get back into watching some, some more TV shows, that'll be high up on the list there. Yeah, just watch season one. Like, each season is a separate story, so you don't need to get, like, trapped into, um, you know, multiple season arcs or anything. I may very just do that. I'm actually using this opportunity to catch up on some Coen films as well. I figured every time we do a film breakdown, I'm going to try and watch movies that sort of relate to that film as well. So I'm going to smash through the, try and get through the rest of the Coens. But let's take a look at some of the polls I've been running over on Twitter to see if some of these films we've done breakdowns on should be in the top 250. And let's start off here with Saving Private Ryan. And 83% say yes for that. No surprises there. Some Like It Hot is next. And 51% also say yes. Considering what has missed out, that actually is a bit of a surprise for me. What about Donnie Darko here? 70% say no. Yeah, I'm not surprised. There's another 70% here for Toy Story, but it's yes. <laughs> Again, that makes sense. The Terminator is next, and 62% say yes, as well as The Matrix here, 61.5% say yes. So pretty close there for both of those. And then we've got our last one here, which is our breakdown today, Fargo. 63% say yes. Nice. 
So looking at our total list here for all these, our top five at the moment from five to one is Die Hard, Toy Story, The Wizard of Oz, Singing in the Rain, and Saving Private Ryan. Good what do you think set of that, Dean? there, Hendo. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's some great films, some classics. Yeah, nice well-rounded list there, mate. All right, mate, it's time for... Answer my question! The question, jerk! Where we asked you, what is your favourite film set in the snow? Now let's take a look over on Twitter at some responses. First one from Cynthia Flynn. The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. Ooh, good pick. I'd be tempted to put the BBC version on, but I guess, is that a TV show? I'm no, they're, not movies. Sure. they're I, movies. I read the book when I was uh, much younger. I haven't seen the movie or the TV show, but I've read the book. No, I think they're both um, movies. You should watch the BBC one. It's really good. Next up here from Just Joe, Where Eagles Dare. Okay. I haven't I heard of that one, Henry. Yeah, I haven't either. Interesting. VT Network says Spies Like Us. Classic. Mm, I haven't heard of that either. Nah. I got a, almost got it confused with Spies in Disguise. I'm like, that's not set in the snow. Uh, next up from Mr. Crockpot TPL. Snowpiercer is a classic. Not bad. Not bad choice. Parents Night In goes for The Shining. Bob Taylor says Alive from 1993. I think I've seen that. If I did, it was a really long time ago. Dave M says Trapped in Paradise. And set in the snow. Doesn't sound like a, a paradise if you're, set in the, if you're trapped in the snow. BK on the air says Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I didn't put this on my list coming up because I, I didn't think it uh, had enough snow in it. No, a little, one little section of snowy it. planet does not maketh a snow film. Yes. But that's your choice. That's your opinion. It's a good film. DC says Hot Tub Time Machine, a film I have not seen. It's pretty funny, I must say. You probably wouldn't like it because, um, you know. Here we go. It's, a, it's good humour. Uh, <laughs> Mark Mark says Die Hard 2. Hmm. Not, yeah. not the biggest Die Hard 2 fan over here. The Cinema Guy says the only correct answer is The Thing. Cinematic Adventure. I've gone Hogfather. You remember this one, Hendo? I do. Cinematic Adventure, Death. formerly known Death. as the Aussie Nerds Podcast. <laughs> Death takes on the role of Santa Claus, and it is hilarious. Still haven't watched it. I'm pretty sure it goes for like four fucking hours. Come on, Daniel. That is ridiculous. WCB says Frozen, not the animated one. I have seen the non-animated Frozen film. Me too. Uh, and it's fine from memory. I like the bit where they let it go. <sighs> is this over yet? <laughs> Hey, that works. If you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, next up from The Real Doa. Well, huge shout out on the opening sequence of Anton Corbin's The American. Corbijan. Is it really Corbijan? Yes. I'm just going to say the J is silent. Anton Corbin. The American. I've, have, you seen, have you seen The American? No. Is that George Clooney? Yes. I think I have seen that. Uh, one of my favourite opening scenes of any film, it's in the snow. Well, well that helps. <laughs> it does. Innovation Festival says Klaus. Good film. Malin181 says, for me, it's probably 2000's Snow Day. Come on. Mm, come on. Malin, jeez. Sean Recommend says, a simple plan. Ooh, good, good pick. On Second Watch Podcast says, does Dumb and Dumber count? I mean, well, I think if you need to ask that question, uh, it's probably a good pick for you. If it counts for you, then it counts for you. Doesn't count for me. Still any good says, I'm going to buck the trend and say the recent adaptation of Call of the Wild. Only joking, obviously, it's the thing. Have you seen Call of the Wild yet? No, not yet. Not oh, ever. Oh, you'd love it, mate. It's Harrison Ford with a CGI dog. It's right up your alley. Does it talk, though, Hendo? What, voiceover or to him? Because it could do both. 
Short and sweet film reviews says planes, trains, and automobiles. There's a movie I haven't seen that I probably should. Oh, I saw that, I think, when I was over in Scotland. And good film. Good, good film. And our last one over on Twitter from Ryan Altieri. So tough. It's a close call between The Shining and Misery. But I'll go with The Shining because the snow has more of a presence and influence throughout the film, whereas it acts as a catalyst in Misery. Well thought out there. Well, thank you very much, everyone on Twitter, for putting in your responses. But, Dean, we're going to get to our top five films set in the snow. And, as usual, we'll kick it off with you. What is your number five? My number five is The Hateful Eight. Very good choice. My number five is Wind River. Hmm. I wish I could say the same. My number four is The Revenant. Okay. All right. Not bad. My number four is last year's film, Arctic. Ah, yes. Recency bias at its best. My number three is the film we just discussed, Fargo. Not bad at all. Once again, my number three is War for the Planet of the Apes. Ah, good pick there, Hendo. Thank you. That's my number two. I gathered when you said good pick. My number two is a film we've done a breakdown on before, The Shining. Oh, I thought you were going to say Fargo. No, Fargo missed my list. And as usual, most of the time, we have the same number one. And it is another film we've done a breakdown on. What is it, Dean? Yes, it is Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. Uh, I wonder when we're going to have a, a list where none of them are the same. You know what nearly made my list? Cool Runnings. Did it? Well, no, it didn't because I liked Fargo. But yeah, it was it was there for a bit. Oh, there you go. But looking at our collective top five here, we have from five to one, Arctic, Fargo, The Shining, War for the Planet of the Apes, and Groundhog Day. Now, looking at our competition here, we had a lot of people basically have the same ones as us, so it, it, I had to figure out how we're going to do this. So, fourth place here is LJ Human with his list of from five to one, Shining, The Thing, The Revenant, The Hateful Eight, and Fargo. So, two correct with three honorable mentions. So, every every one he had was, was mentioned at least by us at one point or another. Coming in third here is Jacob Phillips, awesome patron, Jacob Phillips. And his list is Groundhog Day, The Shining, Fargo, A Nightmare Before Christmas, and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. So he had three correct of our top five. But we have two people here. Both of them have three right. One of them has one of those three dead on the list, and the other one has an honorable mention. Now, Dean, I'm going to let you decide here. What do you think is uh, a better caliber of winner here? The, The one who got three of our choices right with one of them bang on or the other one who had three correct with an honourable mention. Nah, honourable mention for me, Hendo. All right, so coming in second, thanks to Dean, is awesome patron Tom Schutzer and his list is from five to one, Inception, Groundhog Day, The Shining, Fargo and The Thing. So he had Fargo, Shining and Groundhog Day with The Shining. Good list, good list. But our winner is... Paul from the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews podcast. You can thank Dean for that one with his list of Groundhog Day, The Thing, The Revenant, Fargo, and The Shining. So three of ours correct with The Revenant as an honorable mention. So well done, buddy. We'll get in contact with you and we'll send you out some sweet, sweet merch. So well done, buddy. Give give Dean a pat on the back for that one. (laughs) Well, someone's got to one day. All right, Dean, what about our list next week? Why don't you tell me a random number and I'll pull one out from our list we've got. Seven. All right, we've got, what is your favourite one-on-one film duel? Okay, so is this a physical fight? It could be a physical fight. It could be a verbal lashings of the tongue. 
A ver- I think we should be more specific. It's a film jewel, so I I think we should say if we if we are opening up for argument, I think that should be a separate list. I think we should say one on one fight. One on one film physical fight. Yeah, it rolls off the tongue. I, I think, do not. Want I think film jewel verbal lashings. I think film jewel means physical fight. Okay, fine. There's this tournament. Let the tournament begin. All right, Dean, it's time to find out the results of the round three of our Tournament of Champions. Let's see what we've got here. First match here, the Dark Knight takes down a new hope, 64% to 37, 36. Next up, we have Psycho defeating Casablanca, 65% to 35. Inception takes down 12 Angry Men, 58 to 42. Ooh, and this next one's a big one. The Empire Strikes Back up against Pulp Fiction, and it's Empire Strikes Back, 51%. Very close, very, very close. Now, looking at this week's results, there was only two people in our entire tipping competition that got all four right. And who were they, Dean? The two... (laughs) <laughs> the two luckiest sons of bitches you know. It's me it and you, a, Hendo. That's right. It's me and you. How did that Everyone. happen? I don't know. I don't know. I was looking at every result, and every time I come across, I'm like, no, nope, we got that one wrong. No, nope, we got that one wrong. And then it gets us still like, get fucked. <laughs> so in looking at our overall results now, the two people who are in the lead with 11 out of 12 so far is Brother Shane and me. So stick it, Dean. What am I on? 10. Yeah, a lot of people on 10, a couple of people on 9, one unfortunate soul who's on 5 at the moment. But we've still got four rounds to go, so anything can happen here. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, brilliant. So, what's next? All right, Dean, it's time to find out what film we're breaking down next time. Now, if no one picked up on our little subtle hints we had at the start of the episode... You'll get to it right now because it is our patron-requested breakdown coming to you from our awesome patron, Mr. Chris Beardsall. And, well, we've done our breakdown of the first movie that this trilogy is part of. It's another big one. It's another film in the top 10 of the IMDb Top 250. Music, the music's swelling. The music's swelling. Here it is. You know what it is. It's The Dark Knight. Yeah, it is. Shit, eh? What a pick, The Dark Knight. What a pick. Can't wait to shit all over it. (laughs) Number 62 on our list. (laughs) Terrible. No, that's going to be good fun. But next week, it's another Pod V Pod with another awesome guest. We'll be talking about what else we've been watching. All your general stuff there. So thank you very much, everyone, for checking out the episode. And we will see you next week for Pod V Pod 38. Bye. Bye.